Hello. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest on With Respect is Claudia Polini. Claudia is a professor of mathematics, a research mathematician at the University of Notre Dame. We're going to be talking to her about mathematics, about where it fits in in life, how she got into it, and why is it so important? Claudia Polini, With Respect. Claudia, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. Good, good. So, Claudia, I ask this of everybody. It starts off with, where are you from originally? I'm from Italy. I was born in Florence. I grew up in Venice, such a beautiful city in Italy. Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah. My daughter studied in Rome uh, for her undergrad at St. Mary's, and uh, she then uh, had friends who... um, uh, took her around. They went to different places, and and two, her two favorite cities are well, three: Rome, Florence, and Venice. Yes, these are beautiful places. Very what? different and very beautiful, all three of them. So, tell me about your family: uh, brothers, sisters, mom, dad. What what were they like, or are they like? I have three sisters. They are all very accomplished in life. My father and mother were. My uh, mother was a teacher. Mm-hmm. She is uh, retired now. And my father was the uh, CEO of a company that was producing clothing, and now he's dead, unfortunately. He was a very inspiring man. He was a wonderful man. And in their life, you know, they only had four daughters, and they always told us that we had to accomplish in life. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to get whatever we could. Mm-hmm. We had to do the most we could about ourselves. And I think that's what we did. Uh, we uh, always... All four of us had the idea that uh, success is very important. Mm-hmm. But more than success is doing what you like. Mm-hmm. So we are doing very four different things. My older sister, she is a, a product manager and the you know, director of a business in Istanbul, a clothing in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. A clothing, um, you know, they do underwear, they do swimming suit. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the main, actually, um, on the kind uh, company in Turkey and um, the sister after me, I'm the second she instead is has a big position in SAP SAP uh, this is a computer science I mean it's a computer uh, company in Germany and she has a big role she's the global um, uh, the responsible for Europe so mm-hmm. she goes in Germany, in uh, Spain, in France, in England, and Italy. So she mm-hmm. has several offices around her. She's also very uh, famous, actually. And my uh, smaller sister, the fourth one, she's uh, a logopeda- logotherapist. She works at university. She does research in logotherapist. Is actually uh, one of the uh, um, person behind using, um, you know, the... Uh, how do you call this? The little smile, like the emoji. Oh, yeah, emoji, to, sure. Uh, for people that don't speak anymore, they don't have language anymore, ah. to communicate between each other. It's a very good invention mm-hmm. that allowed people that have no language anymore and they cannot express their feeling to still be able to mm. communicate with the world. Mm-hmm. She's also has their private practice, mostly devoted to children. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's also an expert on uh, people with trauma, so people that had strokes and um, diseases that all of a sudden put them in a different uh, kind of world. So she's very good as well. You know, it's interesting. I, in, in a prior show, I've had some people from Northwestern University who are 
engaged in developing uh, aids for people who are uh, physically have lost their arms or legs or whatnot, and they're uh, autom- not autonomic, um, uh, they're tools, which artificial arms and legs and whatnot. And they're working constantly to provide compensation for those lost skills that we take for granted. And it's, it's, they're, they're excited about it. One of the things I love about meeting people like yourself and these fellows is they are alive. They want, they love what they're doing, and they, they see a purpose to it. So now i got a question. Why mathematics? I think mathematics, okay, first of all, I always loved mathematics. It was inside me since I was a child. My mother says that when I was three years old, I would solve the problem. She was a teacher, and I would solve the problem she had in elementary school. And she didn't even know how I had the tool for it. I would just always blatter that answer, and she would say, where did this come from? I always helped my sister, even the one that was older than me, and somehow math was was there for me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was just very good at it. And then growing up, I thought actually I wouldn't do mathematics. I thought I would be a lawyer. Uh, you know, an excellent and, choice, by the way, an excellent yeah. choice. And <laughs> at a certain point, I thought I would... Uh, uh, I liked stars very much, you know, the, the study of stars. So I thought I would do the astronomy. So I started university actually doing engineer, but um, in Italy. And I was in the engineer class for one week. There were only men, you know, like an 120 class of men. I was the only woman, and I said, okay, this is not working. Everybody was just <laughs> looking at me like I was some kind of species. I, I didn't even think I was beautiful. They just looked at me. So I felt, okay, that's not working. And then I went to biology thinking I'd find more women there. But it was so easy for me, and I thought, okay, that doesn't work either. And my father said, okay, you should go to math. You're just very good at math. Just try it. And I said, what do I do with math? Just teaching? I don't want to teach in high school. And he said, just try it. And so I decided, okay, I try. And um, after the first week, I knew this was my subject. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always knew that was the thing. I was so good at it. But I didn't know that I would love it because math is very different. You know, in Italy, you study also philosophy, which mm-hmm. I completely love. I had 10. You know, it's very difficult in Italy to get 10 out of 10. Yeah. It's practically impossible. You go outside the, uh, you know, where the grades at the end of every school year are yeah. posted. Get a 10 out of 10 is really, you know, an isolated thing. And I had a 10 out of 10 in philosophy. I was extremely good. Yeah. And I love philosophy, but math is, is something like a philosophy together with the reality check. So philosophy somehow is the thinking of what we are and what is your, you know, our purpose and what is the meaning of all this. Math has this, but has lots of application together with it. So I felt that math was even more interesting than philosophy. So I was hooked from the beginning. You were hooked? Yes, I was hooked. And I was very good at it, so I pursued it, even if I didn't know which kind of job I would do. And for this reason, in the third year, I decided I would take some computer science classes that just if I needed a job, you know, at oh, least yeah. I would know what to do because <laughs> I didn't want to teach in high school. Nevertheless, um, by the, the last year of high school in Italy, I mean, the, of my college in Italy, I had an offer from my local high school, but I decided I wouldn't go back there. And my professor who was doing already research at the time, I was doing research in, you know, control theory. We would study the, the missile when you throw them out in the moon, mm-hmm. their trajectory and stuff. So I was doing control theory. And I went to Vienna to work with him. And at a dinner at Vienna, he told me, you know, Claudia, you would be wonderful if you would go to grad school. You should go into the States. You know, I didn't speak a word of English. So I said, how the hell do I go to the States? I cannot <laughs> talk with anybody there. And he said... Sure, but you learn. You're so good. You learn anything. <laughs> said, oh, okay, I can try. And then, uh, you know, I try. I applied. My parents obviously didn't like the idea. I was very, very attached to my dad. And at the airport in Malpensa in Milan, I told him, I'll come back. In four years, I'll be back. Don't worry about it. 
I'll be here. I just go to try this thing. And I came to the country and, uh, you know, to the States. I went to Rutgers in grad school. Uh, I applied only to two graduate school, St. Louis, which was extremely good in control theory, was the place for control theory, and Rutgers. And I decided to go to Rutgers for mainly because I wasn't sure if control theory was, would be what I would do in the future. Mm-hmm. And when I arrived, um, I decided to switch and do algebra, mainly because the professor that uh, the, I knew algebra very well. My, my, my uh, university in Italy is extremely strong. It's one of the best in mathematics in the country, but it's extremely strong in algebra. So my background in algebra was very strong. And when I arrived in this country, I didn't speak a word of English. So they put me in this English one-on-one, all Chinese and me, and another guy, which is another professor in, in Princeton, so he's extremely good. And, uh, you know, and then I met my future husband. And the only reason I think I fell in love with him is because I could understand him. He, you know, he was watching. I mean, the guy was watching soccer game in Italy. I mean, in Italian, in Greece. And so he spoke some Italian and he had a French background. I mean, he spoke French very well. So Italian can come easily if you speak yeah. French. So we could communicate. Everybody else I couldn't communicate with. So it was very different for a person that likes to talk. You, so, he, so in other words, he captured you with language. Sure. Most, and it wasn't Shakespeare. It wasn't a Shakespearean sonnet. It wasn't Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Oh, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. No, it was no, just no. It was simply, just, hello, how actually, are you? Actually, the first, we met at a party. He said he was flabbergasted by my look. I just noticed him. <laughs> and after that, I just wrote down his name because it was good contact for computer science. And, you know, this was the beginning of Netscape and email. Oh, very, I had no very idea. utilitarian. I had no idea how to do email. And so I called this number because this guy is a computer scientist. Maybe he knows something about email. So I called him up and said, okay, I need help with email. Can you help me out? And he says, no, I cannot see you. I didn't understand why. Apparently, he was very sick. He didn't want to show up to me being <laughs> sick. And afterwards... He takes me to this dinner, and I can finally talk with somebody. I mean, because I would talk Italian, and he would understand. He would talk this sort of French-Italian French language. French-Italian, yeah. Franklish And he was whatever. good. I mean, he was a computer science. He was a smart guy, and he's still working. I mean, we are together for, I don't know, we got married in 93, count a year. It's a long time now. Yeah. And yeah, we have Enough very... to know that's a, a right thing to do. Yeah, it was yeah. a right thing to do. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, he also comes from a beautiful country, Greece. So there are beautiful beaches to go in the summer. So it's well, a good Now, there background. you go. Okay. Now, yeah. let's, let's get down to the so really basics. Language, beaches, very computers, good. and yeah. what else? What else? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's also a very good father. Because from the well, beginning, there you go. when I got married, actually before I got married with him, I told him, he said he wanted 10 kids. And I told him, ten. I don't want any. You don't want 10. Why no, not? Because I told him math is my only love okay and if i want to be completely dedicated there is no way i can grow up any children and he said but i want 10 and i said then you have to get rid you know get you know you have to take care of them you cannot expect me to take care of them <laughs> and he said don't worry i'll do all the old work oh, and he did oh. and he, he did he's a man of words and when he makes a promise he keeps on it and 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 how he, many children do you have 12, i have two 14? very successful children Okay. One is 22. She just graduated in Princeton. She was actually extremely successful, one of the best students at Princeton. And now she's at Wharton School of Business doing her PhD in mm-hmm. machine learning and social issues. And I have a, uh, a 17 years old at home in the last year of high school. They are both very good in math, I mean, with me. Naturally. And yeah, naturally. And he's a computer scientist. But they are also, they have lots of other gifts. That I think me and my husband don't even get. I mean, we are very lucky. We are, we are fantastic. Yeah. We are a treasure. We are the biggest accomplishment, I think. So you, you did uh, some time graduate studies in Rutgers. And yes. then you became a, a PhD. And then I got my PhD. And then I went to uh, do my postdoc. I, actually, the time when I finished my PhD, I already had tenure track offers. And my husband really wanted me to go for the tenure track. Because he thought... Okay, then we can have a family, you know, you just stabilize. But no, I wanted the postdoc because I knew I would be challenged much more. Yes. You know, during a postdoc, you learn more, you know. 
So I told him, no, we'll go in Michigan to the coldest and then Florida to the warm. You know, Greek and Italian like the warm, That's but right. still, there you go. Yeah. we went to the cold because I wanted to be challenged. And it was a fantastic postdoc. And after that, I got a job at Hope College. The main reason I got a job at Hope College was because I had other job offer, but, you know, I wanted to stay in the area because my husband had a very good job at the time with the state of Michigan. Let me just stop you right there. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back. You're at Hope College. We're going to come back to Hope College in just a minute. Sure. This is John Smetanka run with respect, and we're talking to Claudia Polini, who is a doctor of uh, mathematics uh, at the University of Notre Dame, and we're talking about her life and how she got into mathematics, and it's fascinating. We'll be right back in just a minute. back on with respect with Claudia, doctor, mathematician, Polini. Well, I think we're going to give you that that nickname. You're the, the mathematician. Claudia, the mathematician, Polini. And we've been following how she got into it. And she's repeated several times. I'm going to talk to you about this and, and pin you down a little bit. When you said that you just loved mathematics from the time you were a kid. And uh, I want to, you know, I found... I, in my life, I have found that I did things which I happened into, but there was something I really liked about it. I didn't, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I would uh, take a, a task just because it sounded like fun. And, uh, and most of the time it turned out to be fun. I became an assistant prosecutor by accident, and within two weeks in that office here, I discovered I fell in love with it. I absolutely fell in love with being a prosecutor. So I know what you're talking about when you say it's something that you love. But now, I want to I want to circle back. What is it about mathematics that really is down deep in your soul? Because now, look, I, I'm going to tell you. I read some of your works, and I only stand understand the words the and and or. The rest of it. Uh, it's English. It's not Cyrillic. I can I can see these words, but it's understanding what's behind it. You don't. This is your world. Why, and what is it? It's a very easy answer in a certain sense, and very difficult in another. The actual problem of mathematics is you cannot tell others why you like it so much because. Usually it's very difficult to explain. You know, if you do like the surgeon or you go to the moon or you're doing the lawyer, you can explain to others your own work. You can tell them what is about, what is the case you're working in, what is the difficulty mm-hmm. of it. When you're doing mathematics, it's very difficult to explain to others what's the problem because they can't even understand the problem. They cannot even understand the subject or the object of the problem. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what draws me mathematics and what I like of it. First of all, the intellectual challenge, the puzzles, the solving the puzzles. Mm-hmm. This is one thing that for me is just exciting, okay? The mental, you know. But I could have it with many other things. But math is different because there is the bottom line that there is a truth which you don't have in any other subject. You know, in religion, there is faith. I am very religious, but there is faith. I cannot prove my religion. I can say that God exists, but I cannot really prove it. Mm-hmm. In many other subjects, even even physics, you know, they are trying, like with the Higgs particle, to prove how the world was created. They have theory, and they have experiment that confirm this theory, what, 80 90%? maybe 70%, 
My math is not like this. Mm-hmm. Math is the real, absolute truth. And that's a beauty on it. That's something for me is like, you know, it's, it's a safe. I know what I'm doing is truth. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm discovering, it has a reality behind. You know what? I'm going to stop you for a second. I saw a piece that you did on television. And in it, you said that something, a little bit of what you're saying now, but you didn't know whether what you were doing was grabbing something that already exists out there. That is, the truth is already existent. Or whether it's in your own mind and you're making it up as you go along. That's true. And that's actually a big, big debate on mathematician. It's not clear if we are artists like Picasso is, and we are mm-hmm. creating, mm-hmm. because obviously we create our own problem. So we are creating something that is out of our own mind. Obviously the rule are fixed there, what you call the, you know, um, the axiom. So we have to obey two rules. That's the truth about math. You understand? Mm-hmm. On the other end, it could be that it's a reality out there. We are just discovering, mm-hmm. like physicists or biology do. You know, a discovery of a truth that is, you know, the rule of the universe. Mm-hmm. I do believe what Galileo said, that God wrote the word with math. You know, there is a unique language, universal language, and that's mathematics. And that's what God gave us. It's not English, it's not Italian, it's not Spanish. It wouldn't have been, you know, the, the word cannot be written in one particular language, but there is one universal language, and that's mathematics. Mm-hmm. And the word is definitely written with that. That's clear. I mean, that was clear already to Galileo. So if we want to understand the word and understand God's creation, we must understand math. One of the things that, that I was thinking about when I was reading your, your life, and uh, your, your life in writing, uh, and thinking about math as it applies in my life, I was thinking, I, I have a great interest in um, the stars, galaxies, planets, the, and, and science fiction, and science, and, and the Big Bang, and, uh, and, and some of the other theories, the, the quantum mechanics, and how it all fits together. And the scientists are looking for the end theory, which explains everything. Exactly. And what I was thinking, there, there is an interrelationship between three disciplines, and maybe more. Um, one is math. Another is geometry, the, the relationship of shapes and sizes and g- distances. That's still part of math. It's part of, part of, that's part of math, but it's interrelated. That is but it's, geometry. It's part of math. If you, if you look at math, there are all, lots of parts of math. One is logic, one is math, one is algebra, one is geometry, one is analysis. Geometry is just one of the sides of math. Okay. And the last one is physics. That is, <clears throat> and in physics, we have... Now we're searching for what is it? What are we made of? Okay, or what is we've we had uh, the Greek philosophers came up. One of the Greek philosophers but came up with the atoms. But you cannot answer any question in physics if you don't have the math well, background. That's what I'm about to say, and that is that math is the language which ties the physical world, geometry. It's all tied together by this language of math. Exactly. So if you don't know math, you can do any of that. So that's why it's so important. I think, I think any kind of advances in this world require math. That's why in the future where will there will be less and less jobs because there will be more and more machines that do our jobs, the only jobs that will be left to us is mathematics. If we don't have the mathematics background, we cannot do anything. Mm-hmm. So it will be extremely important for us. Okay, you can be an artist, you can be a poet. That you can do, but any STEM work you cannot do without math. You know, I was thinking about this <clears throat> also in, an, in another regard. You mentioned uh, artificial intelligence or, or robots or whatever. Um, we started off with sort of analog uh, computers, and that went so far. And then we got into digital the one o one o one o the binary Pulsan, system the binary system and now we're doing something we're getting into intuition where machines intuit and do their own intuiting they that is 
They leap, they go beyond just the 1010 and come up with conclusions or actions that are unique and that weren't necessarily programmed by the creator of that machine. So, is that the next step? Is that where we're going? Is is the inevitable that the machines are going to be able to uh, invent, are going sure. to be able to... They will be able to invent, but without, you know, the person programming the machine, you cannot have the machine. And without the person behind the machine, you won't have the machine. So it's true, the machine will be able to do much, much more. But it will have drawback, like now. My daughter studied in Wharton how machine learning and the machine is learning the biases out of us. They don't only learn the good out of us, oh. but they will learn also the bad out of us. Mm-hmm. They learn to be racist from us. Mm-hmm. So how do we take off this from the machine? That's a big question. And, you know, without the math background, you can't do that either. So, you know, math is beautiful because it's not racist. I'm going to, all right, let's, let's lead into something. I read a book. I loved a series of books written by Isaac Asimov, um, who wrote um, the Foundation Trilogy. And in the Foundation Trilogy, it's about a futuristic society or a past society, whatever. <clears throat> and in this society uh, is created, um, dictated, run on the theory uh, a doctor by the name of Hari Seldon. And Hari Seldon said, essentially, I've got this, this computerized program, and I can predict human behavior in the broadest terms for hundreds of thousands of years because my, my, my equation is so comprehensive that I can predict without, without limitation except for the very smallest and most minute decisions that an individual might. I can do the big, the huge, big trends and whatnot. And there was another um, scientist, uh, mathematician perhaps, who said that if you, could pre- if you could identify where every molecule in the universe was at any given point, and you could measure and you had applied the various uh, forces of history, forces of, of mathematics. You could predict with absolute certainty all of human nature, all of scientific nature, all of mathematics, all of, I'm sorry, not mathematics, all of uh, the movement of the planets, the, the, the birth and death of stars and whatnot. Do you, do you understand my point? That is that it is determined. Everything is determined. And this particular guy, I think, felt that it was Mathematics, which made the determination. If there is something that make the, the determination, will be mathematics. I don't know if there is something that make the determination. That's left to say. I think it's what you believe. Do you think that we have no, you know, free will and we cannot change what's in front of us? I believe in free wills, and I think you can change things. I mean, this goes to the philosophy now and goes to the human belief. On the other hand, I do believe that what's around us is written in mathematical terms, so we can read it much better if we understand mathematics. And I also think if we understand enough mathematics, we would be able to, you know, reach boundaries that now we cannot even imagine. I mean, think about it. When I was a child and grew up and I saw the science fiction movie, I would see these people talking in the phone and see their own images. And I thought this was never going to happen. Right. And now we have Skype, we have FaceTime. We talk with people and look at their face all the time. The world has become so small. And we are talking already about transporting ourselves. And, you know, now we still have to take a plane to go to Europe. But maybe in 10 years we won't. That's right. We'll just enter an elevator and then two minutes later we are in Spain. All right. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back and talk about this, just to follow up on this. This is John Smetanka, Run with respect. And we're talking today to Dr. Claudia Polini, who is a professor of mathematics at the University of Notre Dame, and a fascinating individual. And uh, this is John Smetanka. We'll be right back.
We're now back on With Respect with Dr. Uh, Claudia Polini, who is a professor of mathematics at the University of Notre Dame. And we know that she got into it because she fell into it. She loved it from the time she was three years old. This became, this was her delight and is now her career and her life. Plus that husband who takes care of the kids and that, and that is all, and who was a, you know, was taught you about email and English and all that sort of stuff. That's part of your life too. All right. However, um, I, I was, I'm again struck. Yes. I, I happen to believe in free will and, um, but in a sense is free will provable in the same way that a, with a mathematical equation with scientific testing, or is that something that we believe is true? Do you know the tale of Santa Agostino? Yes. Oh, oh I, I think I'm going to love this one. I think I know this one. Go ahead. He met a little child on the beach, and the little child was doing holes and putting the water on the holes. And uh, Santa Agostino asked him, what are you going to try? What are you trying to do? And the little child said that he was trying to put the whole sea or the whole ocean inside the holes. And uh, Santa Agostino said, that's not possible. And then the child looked at him and said, then why are you trying to put or to understand the triada? You know, the Trinity. The Trinity. That's right. Yeah, in Greece, you would say the triada, the Trinity in your head. Because you, know? you pea brain. Because you cannot. <laughs> you have a pea brain, and yeah. you're dealing with, an, so, with a watermelon so idea. So why should we try to understand free will? God gave us a brain, a fantastic brain, an object which is, we don't even use 15% of it. How much percent? 15. Okay. So if we used a little bit more of it, maybe we could get much more ahead. But see, here, let, me, let, me, let me bounce this off of you. We have to learn how to deal with human behavior and free will, and we have to understand what is free will, that is, what are we actually able to control of our behavior, and what can't we control. In the law, for example, we have a very clear and simple uh, area that I used to have to deal with as a prosecutor, and that is insanity. To what there are people who, because of mental ease, uh, illness or defect, are not able to either appreciate the rightfulness or the wrongfulness of their actions, or even if they know that, they're not able to control their own biological actions. And so uh, we make excuses. We make an exception to criminal liability for someone who is actually legally insane. And this is always a difficult thing. And I remember dealing with uh, psychiatrists who were trying to analyze people's behavior. And they would give me all different kinds of, well, this comes from childhood or this comes. And I'd say, but give me an answer. Can this, could this person control their behavior? Could they stop pulling the trigger? And I remember one um, one case in which three psychiatrists said each one of them, two for the prosecution and one for the defense, say that this particular individual who had killed someone uh, was a sociopath. And while he could uh, understand that society thought it was bad to kill and he wouldn't have killed if there was a policeman nearby. That is, he had the ability to control his behavior. He still did it. And why did he do it? Because he'd never killed anybody. And that condition called sociopathy in those days, this is some years ago, was described by each of these psychiatrists as non-curable. And it was a lack at a very primitive time in that person's development, very primitive time, that uh, conscience never developed. So 
conscience, right and wrong, were simply concepts of what's good to me or what I think is right or wrong. And even though I understand this, everybody else might look at it in a negative way, I don't. And I, I live by those, those principles. So I come back to you. And I say, I'm, you know, Harry Seldon claimed to, in the book, was, was, wrote the, the equation which could predict all behavior. And, that's, and we're talking about uh, the future of an artificial intelligence. And you talk about breeding out uh, biases, the bad things that are part of our psychiatry, of our, pardon me, of our society. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, how are we going to live in this new world? How are we going to live in this new world where, where artificial intelligence machines um, are, have played such a dominant role or such an important role? And they, the danger is the thought now is they're actually own, their own free spirits. You know, they're, they're as much human. I, Robot, a I, uh, book by Isaac Asimov, I, Robot, talking about a, uh, a robot who developed consciousness and feelings. And all of this, is we play around in our, psychi- in our, in our, uh, our, uh, our thought our society, we knock this around, now it happens to be artificial intelligence that we're all worried about. However, it brings me back to my mother. I used to read books about science fiction, or in science fiction. And my mother said to me when I was 12 or 7 or whatever it was, John, why are you wasting your time? We're never going to go to the moon. It's just not going to happen. We can't get to the moon. And I, and I think back uh, to about 20 years later, she said, you know, I think I was wrong. I think we just landed on the moon. And, you know, so, so where are we going to go? Come on, you, you're, the, you're the person who lives in the world of knowing how math is going to affect us. We're, what, how are we going to cope with this? There are no limits. We can go anywhere. And, uh, and that's why math with universal language is more and more important. That's why, you know, today a person that is illiterate, I mean, 20 years ago a person that was illiterate was a person that was not going to be able, that was not able to write in his own language. Like in Italian, the analphabets were the ones that were not able to write in Italian. Now the analphabets are the ones that cannot communicate in English. Okay? Because mm-hmm. that's the universal language right now, the word language. And tomorrow, the alphabets are going to be the one that don't understand mathematics because that's going to be a the universal language. So that's where we're going to go. That's why everybody has to understand it. Now, what are the limits? There are no limits. So we're going to go faster and faster. However, there is one detail, and that's what you stopped on, which is our mind. Our mind is completely behind everything else. We live much longer because they found cure to many, many of our diseases. Because if you think about it, already 50 years, 500 years ago, the doctors were studying diseases, but they never studied so much the disease of the mind. Mm-hmm. They always thought that the mind was connected to the spirit. Mm-hmm. If you are sick in the mind, you are possessed. And then they use religion to cure you, but they never use medicine to cure you. It took until Freud... Freud, whatever you call it in English, to try to really study where the mind can go. And even after that, you know, a psychiatrist was never a doctor like seen like the other doctors. Mm-hmm. It's only nowadays that finally we understand if we want to live a healthy life, we have to cure the mind because now we can live 90 years old at least and at 70 our mind gets sick. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So now we have to, to cure dementia. We have to cure Alzheimer's. We have to cure, uh, you know, um, all sorts of diseases. Mm-hmm. And now neuroscience is becoming a major in most universities. Mm-hmm. Univ- the major in neuroscience didn't even exist until five years ago. And now almost every serious university is creating a major in neuroscience. Obama decided to give a lot of money for this kind of research. We understand we have to study the mind because, as I said before, only 15% of it is developed. We know we have many, many, many more potential. We know now and we understand that if we could control our mind, we could control things. We could move with our mind objects. We could do much, much more than what we are doing today. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not only that. It's like you said before. What are the sickness that develop inside us? What is a psychopath? What is a person that... Is it cleverness? What, what, how is this working? Mm-hmm. And again... My daughter, which studied this, she studied neuroscience, but she's a computer science. She's one of the most clever person I know, actually, and I taught a lot of people. She was already a genius when she was very small. You know, she learned how to read English alone. She learned how to subtract and add when she was free with nobody teaching to her. You know, she always surprised me. She proved that the five, the even number were of the kind 2K when she was five. She had no abstraction tools. And I always told my husband, you know, he, we had two daughters. The other is very bright, but it's normal. And he thought he was retarded. And I was telling him, you cannot compare them. One is a genius. The other is a very clever girl. Anyway, the, my daughter, which studied computer science, machine learning, and math, often tells me, you know, mommy, it's so strange. Our brain works like a computer. or We are making the computer work like the brain. If we understood really how the brain works, we could make the best computer ever. The problem is that we don't understand how our brain works. But you know, here's a, here's a, let, let's shift over into another area because this flows into, uh, you're talking about the relationship between computers and digital and whatnot uh, into life, daughters, genius, mathematics, all of it ties together. But it also flows into art, and I, I love, I, I've learned to love what is called fractal art, and fractal art is uh, individualized computerization of concepts of numbers and, and unknowns, and they, if you change the equation, the diagram, the picture, looks completely different. And I've got several of them on my wall at the, at the office. They're just beautiful. But there is a very tangible interrelationship between what we call art, beauty, and humanity, and at the same time, mathematics. And I want to toss one more in. And one of my absolute favorite plays of all time is called Arcadia by Tom Soppard. I don't know if you've need, seen it or know of it. But the characters in it are really fascinating, and one of them is a 16, 15 to start with, and a 16-year-old girl who sees in her head all of what we're talking about. She sees mathematics. She sees it as a reality, and it's beautiful. And she, in fact, talks about at one point with her tutor how, you know, we were using mathematics uh, and geometry to do squares and circles. But what if we did flowers and plants and, and so on with, with, with numbers? And so at any rate, when I saw that, it created in me for the first time an appreciation of a person like yourself, like your daughter, who, for whom this is the life of their mind and their soul. They understand it instinctively. You understand it. I don't. I mean, I'm not, I didn't wake up um, uh, with that kind of a, a, a brain. I can do other things, but I can't do that. So uh, I want to say, what do you think about art, humanity, deep humanity, emotions, fitting in with mathematics? And before you answer it, I'm going to have to take a break. We'll come back, gives you a little time to think about that. This is John Smetanka, and we are on With Respect. And the uh, guest for today is a fascinating person, Claudia Polini, who is a professor of mathematics at the University of Notre Dame and is in love with mathematics. Now back on with respect with Dr. Claudia Polini, who is the um, is a is a professor at the University of Notre Dame in mathematics, his PhD, and we've been having a really fascinating conversation about the 
the not only the theory, the uh, the internal life of mathematics, but also what what its future is, what how it's going to affect us or can affect us in the future. So, uh, as I say, this is John Smetank on with respect. Now, Claudia, what do you think? What is the is there a relationship between mathematics and the other parts of life, art, literature, psychology, beauty. I mean, obviously there is. I mean, remember before when you brought back a question I asked with whether we were inventing a new mathematics or the mathematics was outside? This is because, because mathematicians, they are very different from other scientists. You know, a biologist, a physicist, a chemist, a biochemist, they study the world around us. They try to explain the world around us. They do experiment. They try to prove what's going on there. They never talked about their experiment as beauty. They talk about trying to find what's going on. But when you talk to the mathematician, we'll always talk about beauty, the beauty of mathematics, the beautiful proof, because there is a beauty of mathematics. You know, we are artists. We are much more artists than anything else. It's not clear. There was always a debate. I always had a debate with my advisor. Are we really like a Picasso? Or we are like, I don't know, Marie Curie? Are we finding the things out there? He's already out or is coming out of our mind. But what's coming is beautiful. And when you talk with a mathematician, we'll always know when a proof is ugly and a proof is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It could, maybe you cannot see it. Maybe we cannot explain the beauty of mathematics to others, but we know, we deeply know what it is. And we are so much in love with it that we work hours and hours to get to that beauty. You know, we may have a proof, but that proof it doesn't make us happy because it's not beautiful. And so we work hours and hours to refine it to make it beautiful. And when it's beautiful, it doesn't touch our brain. It touches our soul. And it touches in a way that affects us. Clearly, mathematician, it's very difficult to be a mathematician. You struggle and you try to put things that are way too difficult. And often you go six months without being able to prove. And sometimes you prove for years you try to prove something, a famous conjecture in 100 years old. A friend of mine, a physicist, said, how can... My mathematician put their own question out, their own problem, like Poincaré problem or Fermat, you know, mm-hmm. theorem, last theorem, which, you know, they pose, nobody else pose. And then if they're open for more years, they're more famous. And if they're open for two, three hundred years, they're even more famous. And then <laughs> a mathematician comes up and solves it. And I said, you don't understand. Everybody else has to think that that question makes sense. The most difficult thing is actually come up with this problem that everybody says, oh, this is a good problem. You know, I often tell my students, if I give you a problem and you solve it, yes, you did well, but you just did your job. If you come up with a good problem, then you stand out. So what does it mean to come up with a good problem? To come up with a good problem is, you know, the guy that solved last Fermat theorem, I don't know if you ever read his work, he said, every time I would go on, is like opening a light in a closed room. Mm. And I would see the, you know, first I would touch, I wouldn't see anything. And then I would distinguish that there was a chair, then was a table. And then all of a sudden I would open a light, but I wasn't arrived yet. I had yet another door to go. Mm-hmm. Cartesio often said that doing mathematics was like painting. You would make, you know, the painting of this, mountain you would climb the mountain and then when you are in the peak of the mountain you realize you didn't climb anything was just a little hill and in front of you there was still another mountain Mm. but the problem is not arriving to the peak is the way the way is the point along the way you discover and you make such progress that helps the whole humanity what you're painting on the way is what really matters it's the journey not the target. Was it Michelangelo or Da Vinci? Michelangelo, I'm sorry, um, um, who, uh, the Mona Lisa. And someone analyzed that picture and they said it's very, if you look at it, it's very symmetrical. 
circles. The face is a circle. The various parts, many circles built into this uh, this uh, picture, which we consider to be one of the ultimates in in beauty, uh, in painting, and and in and in women. Well, um, it's it's fascinating to me because underlying what you're talking about is the symmetry or lack of symmetry that is inherent in nature itself. Okay. If God chose a language like mathematics to write the word, don't you think that mathematics must be wonderful? So what appeals to us when we see the, the proportion in Leonardo, you know, or we see the Giotto, the perfect you know, circle of Giotto or his perfect work, and we think, oh my, oh, people look at this perfect square or the perfect number and said, how mathematics is so beautiful without us understanding and sees, sees the beauty of it. I mean, this is copious. It has to be like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the language that God chosen has to be the perfect language. It has to have the beauty in it. It has to have the poetry. It has to have the artistry. It has to have everything on it. Otherwise, God would not have chosen it. There is a, another area which I want to go quickly into because it's, uh, uh, it's tying humanity and ordinary people, uh, like myself definitely, but uh, like other people that I've met, who in- instinctively understand um, the concepts, some of the concepts you're talking about. For example, Brian Greene wrote a book called The Elegant Universe, a very a primer on the interrelationship between math I remember one of the neat things he said at the beginning was, look, folks, everything I'm going to tell you is uh, true, and there is demonstrably true because of the equa- equations. Now, I'm not going to put them into the book. You can, If you really want to look at the equations, they're in the footnotes. So as a result, the book flows very well, and it's not necessary to be a mathematician to understand what he's saying. But in the process of describing this elegant universe, and you talk about the beauty the, the absolute beauty of mathematics. And he would phrase it in a different way. He would use the word elegant, which is, a again, a, a term of art that you guys use in a special sense. A, a, it's a proof which has a beauty or a simplicity to it. It's an exciting. Well, at any rate, I read this book. I was reading this book, and I was in a restaurant down in New Buffalo, Michigan, And I was waiting to meet with another attorney on a problem, and I was having lunch and reading this book. And the waitress came up to me and said, after she took my order, she said, uh, oh, do you like the book? And I thought, well, yes, it's a a book on, on, you know, the the universe and, and that sort of thing. And she said, oh, I know, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I liked when I talked to Brian Greene about his theory when I met him down at Michigan City. And I thought, holy Christopher, here's a woman, waitress, who is engaged with the elegant universe in this world that is way beyond, was way beyond me. And I thought, that's cool. That is somebody in real life who says this stuff is important. And I'm going to tell you, your world is at a disadvantage. You talk about how difficult it is to, to labor in the vineyards quietly and for six months or a year or all of your career. And I think you're at a disadvantage because astrophysicists have pictures, glorious pictures of the universe, of the Horsehead Nebula out, out in the middle of nowhere, the Andromeda Nebula in colors, and it's just is spectacular. In science fiction, they now do, the graphics are getting better and better, and you really feel you're moving from galaxy to galaxy. And, you know, so you're, in a sense, you're kind of stuck. You've got, I'm going I'm to try to help you. I want you to help me. What, how do we convey, not just to people generally, to women, to young women? Because it's always said, well, women can't do math. You're a proof, as, a proof that, that it, it is attractive. It is quite understandable. In fact, you can, you can dominate it. You, you've got this in your head. This is your world. This is your life. Are you unusual, or are there other women who can do the same things? 
All women you. can do this. And why is that? Here's a softball. Why is that? Because they can. Women can do everything they want. I mean, unfortunately, one problem is the model. You know, we look at model, you know, role model. You know, for my kids, why my kids are so good in math is the genes was the fact that I was a role model. You know, they are both extremely good in science and math particularly because I was their mother and I was showing that you can do it. You know, if everybody would have such thing, then it would always be possible. But when you go to school and most of the teacher, you know, are men, most of the university professors are men, most of the people you see that are successful in mathematics are men, all the theorem that are name, men names, you know, it's very difficult. Also, there is an uncertainty that comes with mathematics. You have to be sure, you have to be somehow confident that you can do it. There is an aggressiveness that comes with the mathematics mm-hmm. that sometimes women don't possess. And then that's obviously a disadvantage, but doesn't mean that women cannot do math. Women can do math. And it will be a much better world than they, when they can realize they can do math. Why? Oh, because if there are more women mathematicians, it will be a much better game. Why? Come on. <laughs> that sounds like a sexist statement. Come it's not on. a sexist statement. It's a true <laughs> statement. I wish there were many, many women, more women doing mathematics. Unfortunately, it's not the case. Unfortunately, most of the conference I go is still, um, you know, one of the few women there. Mm. Unfortunately, most of the things I participate on, I'm one of the few women there. But it will change. I, I, you know, I think it, we are fighting for it, and we went, we made a lot of progress, and I think we eventually will change that. There is definitely a, a disadvantage. Women want children, they want their family, and the system at the university, like it is now, with, you know, the fact that you have to get tenure and the fact that publish pairs is very difficult or perish is very difficult to it's at a prime time for women you know and so often after the phd they decide it's better to go to college because then they can have their own kids and they can grow up these kids have a family uh, often it's a question of of making choices and we should not have to make these choices I was extremely lucky. I had a very supportive husband. He stayed home with my children. I had supportive parents. They came all the way to Italy every year to keep my children. I could travel. I could do my math. And uh, But often this is not the case. A lot of people cannot do that. So they have to make choices. Now, though, things are changed. You know, the main avenue, there is a famous place where um, if you really arrive that you are invited to, it's called Oberbolfa for mathematics for pure mathematics, where they have the biggest conference. And if you are really arrived, you, are, you get an invitation to Verbolfa. And when I was young, you, you know, you could never take children there. You can never take their family there. Mm. The same to Lumini of these conferences. And now in Verbolfa, we have a program that you can, you can take your child mm. and they will have a daycare that takes care of it. So See, things are changed. That, that is, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but this is true in so many other areas. When I started law school, there were two women in my class of 102. Uh, there was a period of time, and maybe it's changed slightly in the last two or three years, but when most young law students are women now. At any rate, I am extremely ple- pleased to have had you as a guest. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope that our audience has learned that a, mathematics is beautiful. To quote Edna Ferber's, or paraphrase Edna Ferber's uh, uh, f- uh, husband and so big, cabbages is beautiful. You say mathematics is beautiful. Um, we've been talking to Claudia Polini, who is a professor of mathematics at the University of Notre Dame, and we have enjoyed having her on. Maybe someday we'll have her back and we'll talk about other universes, and, and what, uh, what mathematics can contribute to that. This is John Smetanka on With Respect, and remember, until next time, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. Mm-hmm.